This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions. Because it's time to dish the dirt. On the AM740 Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. And uh, your sous chef back in action hey, here, Frank Proctor. Nice to see you. welcome back. Thank you very much, Charlie. And, I wouldn't uh, recognize David. you if I saw you on the street. Look at your suntan. Oh, I know. Relaxed. Well, uh, we uh, we had uh, uh, probably one of our best vacations ever. In, well, oh, three with the weeks weather. and the weather, There yeah. was one day, the, the Thursday of the last week, that it just poured down like crazy. But then then the Friday was, uh, again, back to the sunshine and the warm weather. It was absolutely perfect. I was feeling bad, <clears throat> pardon me, for the farmers. I was going to say, that who, oh, we boy, need that rain. They needed that rain, and uh, I'm not sure that that one day did really anything, but uh, well, just a tease. Well, there's a very high chance of rain here tomorrow. I'm yeah. not sure if that's across the entire province, but uh, certainly I think we're running about a 70 or 80% chance of rain tomorrow. Well, even today, uh, they say you can expect uh, thunderstorms to pop up out of nowhere because of the unstable situation. It's it's the a, temperatures. So humid. And, know. You know, wow. It's hot. Anyway, good to see you. And uh, yeah. I heard, heard you and Robbie on the air, and uh, it was we just great. We missed you. Well, it was But uh, then super. this wacko called in named Maudie, who sounded oh, a lot she's like an old you. Oh, friend of mine. She's an old friend of mine. God, yes. Bless her heart. Yeah. Yes, yes. She comes from Balls Falls. She does. Yes. <laughs> She's uh, pretty wacky. In the Niagara area. Uh, so, so welcome home. And yes, just so you know, we did miss you, but Robbie did great. He did. Yes, so, he sounded. He even sound, sounded as if he started to know some stuff. I got a little worried about the nematodes. Yeah, you. I don't know yeah. if you heard that, but I did. The nematode question came, that. and I said, Robbie, like, you know, this is Frank's. <laughs> Okay, so do, do yeah, the numbers. i got to get you the numbers on the air. All righty, yes. If you're uh, in the Toronto area, by all means, uh, call this number, 416-360-0740. Then anywhere else in the province, it's toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. And as is her wont, uh, mm. she likes to go to a little announcement or two. Exactly. I have some, some things going on. But yeah. just before I get to those, I, uh, just a quick update. I left last week. You weren't here. I left last week. Uh, telling everybody I was on my way, shh, don't tell anybody, to a surprise party uh, for my aunt's 90th birthday. And, of course, you know, how do you have a surprise party for a 90-year-old? I mean, Especially when you announce it on the air. Well, but she's in London. <laughs> oh. So I didn't think she was listening because I think the people right in London have trouble getting the station, or I've been told that anyway. So I picked up my parents. We went to London. And, yes, indeed, it truly was a surprise party. She did not know that this was happening. There was about 25 people there. Um, family came from sort of the... South of Ottawa area yeah, of, yeah. Uh, off the farm, which is where my Aunt Bunny is from. And it was very nice. Aunt it was a Bunny. lovely, lovely party. You Aunt Bunny. guys have, yeah, you, you have the way with the names. Dolly and <laughs> Bunny. Aunt Bunny. Well, you know what her real name is? Is Beryl. 
Barrel. Yeah, B-E-R-Y-L. Oh, not as in barrel rolling. I, no. That's what I thought when I was a kid. <laughs> so I don't know where the bunny came in. But anyway, that's what she's called, Aunt Bunny. So uh, happy belated to Aunt Bunny, and it was fun. She held up really well. Oh, considering that's great. The biggest challenge for my uncle was trying to figure out how to get her to like sort of dress up a bit. Yeah. Just because oh, there was yeah. a party happening. And yeah. uh, he was trying to come up with some, you know, excuse for her to have to put on a dress and, you know, you know, get rather than the old house code or whatever. That's right, yeah. get jazzed up. So uh, <laughs> she was fine. She looked great, and she she was truly surprised, and uh, she lived through it. So good. That was all fun. Uh, okay, a couple of things at the Royal Botanical Gardens this weekend. Mm-hmm. If you're in town or you want to get out to the Burlington area, uh, and you, if you have grandchildren or children, you want to do something with them, the whole weekend is devoted to magic and mischief. Oh, it's an enchanted garden weekend. So today. Uh, tomorrow and Monday, uh, 11 to 4, all three days at Hendry Park. It's uh, the the little um, media release says, Calling all gnomes, fairies, pixies, and sprites. Make your way to the Royal Botanical Gardens where a touch of magic awaits you. Wow, you can just see him conjuring up some cacti. Exactly. Yes. Face painting, legends and lore, quest for the lost trees, and much, much more. So that's, that's fun this weekend. Uh, this coming week... The Lakefield and District Hort Society, I mentioned this last week, is hosting the Lakefield Antique and Flower Show. And uh, there's lots of stuff for sale. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, plants and a lot of uh, flower show, um, uh, photography show. Um, it's the 50th anniversary this year of the Society, so it's quite a big event. And I guess it's it's a well-known event. It's an annual thing, and so it's going to be bigger than, than, than ever this year. So it's in Lakefield, of course, at the Lakefield Smith Community Center, right on the banks of the beautiful Autonomy River. It is, as I mentioned, Wednesday and Thursday. It's pretty much all day, 10 until 8 on Wednesday, 10 until 6 on Thursday. Next Sunday... August 12th, from noon to 4.30, the Toronto Japanese Garden Club is having their 34th annual Nature's Beauty Show. So if you're interested in bonsai or ikebana, which is oh, yeah. a, a Japanese flower arranging and you know flower display, the, this is a lovely opportunity to see just top of the line. Um, plus, there will be demonstrations, there will be speakers, uh, so lots going on, it, like if that interests you at all. And of course, bonsai and miniature gardening is yeah. super interesting. <clears throat> I always think of the Karate Kid, Mr. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, what the heck was the his name? Karate anyway. Kid's yeah. uh, mentor. Yeah, he, oh, Jane, you're talking about Miyagi. Thank you, David. Uh, Mr. Miyagi. And, and he'd do all the wonderful uh, bonsai. Bonsai. Yeah, clipping, clipping his bonsai tree. Exactly. So he may be there. You never know. <laughs> that is next Sunday. Uh, that is, uh, where is the time on this? Until From noon until 4.30. So next Sunday afternoon. It's at the Toronto, uh, the Mo- Momiji Seniors Center, 3555. No, it's not tomorrow. It's, it's the a week following. Tomorrow. Right. Yeah. Okay. On Kingston Road, 3555 Kingston Road in Scarborough. And there's a tea room that will be open all afternoon as well. Admission is $5. All righty. One thing I forgot to mention, Charlie, is the fact that uh, the little mantra I-, I neglected, please call early, call often, one question per call. Patrolman Proctor on duty. I've got, <laughs> I told my, I've got my ticket book out, boy, I'm telling you. <laughs> all right. So give those numbers a call that I uh, gave earlier, and we'll be back to talk with Ray and Kohlberg in just a moment. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, Forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, flocks, hollyhocks, tulips.
tulips and sweet williams. You picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. And I'm the sous chef of the garden, Frank Proctor, and the goddess of the gardenias, yes, indeed, is here. And <laughs> Ray, Ray is on the line from what a beautiful little town, uh, Coburg. Uh, we drove through that on the way back from our holidays. Uh, good morning, Ray. Good morning. I'm... Uh, Got a question on uh, grapes this morning. Alrighty. Uh, I have uh, four uh, grapevines. I used to have six, and uh, what I'm trying to do is reproduce them from cuttings. Mm-hmm. Now, I took uh, some cuttings and put them in water about three or four weeks ago, but I don't see any roots coming. Like their leaves are nice and green, but. Uh, how uh, how do you get roots growing well, on the bottom of the cuttings? How, what size cuttings are they? How tall were they? I'd say about uh, two feet. Okay, so <clears throat> there's your first mistake. When you take cuttings on anything, it should never be more than about five or six inches long. Oh, okay. Okay. Remember as well that where the leaves come off the stem is where the roots will grow. Oh, all right. So when you want to get roots to grow from a cutting, you must remove the lower two leaves and immerse those little um, knobs, they're actually called nodes, where the leaves were, into your medium, whether it's water, which is not often the best. Water works with things that will, like coleus and impatience, they'll get uh, um, roots very, very quickly. But with um, grapes, you're you're working with what are called semi-hardwood. At this time of year, if you took a five or six inch cutting off a grape, it would probably, the stem would even be, might even be somewhat brown. A little bit of bark has started to form on the outside edge as you go down five or six inches on the vine. So that's called a semi-hardwood. So the roots will not come out as quickly, typically, as they will on a softwood cutting. So um, I would do, I would use some rooting hormone and then I would... poke my little cuttings into moist vermiculite or perlite or sand to get those roots growing. Oh, when is the best time to do it? There's it early in the season? Or? Well, when the plant is actively growing, so June kind of time frame, right. is often the best time for any plant to get roots, to, you know, get the cuttings to, to root. With plants that become hardwoods, <clears throat> like trees and shrubs, mm-hmm. we find that there often will take fall cuttings and then they can sit in a refrigerator all winter or they can slowly but surely be brought out of because they're going dormant in the fall. Right. They, they often, they'll have no leaves on them or anything, but they can be stuck. And then they take a few months with a little bit of heat from below, particularly, you'll start to get roots. So your, your easiest time, fastest time is always when the plant is actively growing. So that's, like I say, sort of late spring, early summer. Okay. okay, that sounds good. I'll try that then. All righty. Thanks, Thanks so much, call. Ray. Thanks very much, then, Charlie. You Bye-bye. bet. Have a great day. It's uh, 918 here at AM 740. Doug is on the line uh, right here in town in Toronto. Good morning, Doug. Good morning to you both. Morning. Good. I wonder if you can help me. Um, uh, my late wife was uh, a tremendous gardener, and uh, we were in uh, France in Versailles, and she fell in love with the lavender gardens of Marie Antoinette, uh, I guess, uh, in the in the area there, mm-hmm. uh, we've got a hundred square feet of lavender. It's about been there about fifteen years. Wow! And um, it's fairly woody. It, it's about two about thirty inches high when it's in bloom, and you know a lot of people come and take stuff for sachets and things like <laughs> that. What is it possible that lavender blooms twice in a year? Um, 
I don't usually, I mean, yes, if you trimmed it, but it's so probably when the people are taking flowers, like you said, for sachets, then new growth is forming and, and little flower buds are forming. So, and I find lavender, you get that big flush of bloom in whenever that is, early mm-hmm. July, late June. But then you will start often get little side blooms, like little sort of more flowers form, but you don't get that same big bloom like you get initially. No, no, you don't get that impact. But no. When, what time of year should I be cutting it down or back, or back I guess? And I, how far do I go? Do I just go to where the, the stems where the lavender was or go down a bit further? Well, it kind of depends. It's, it's a question of how ruly or unruly you want it to be. With my lavender, I'm a little north of you in Richmond Hill, so it's a little cooler. And I find that in the spring, the lavender often has some dieback. So there's some areas that are, it's, it's, you can tell, it's all just um, dried up and, and not going to grow on those stems. So I usually get out my shears, my sort of Edward Scissorhands type shears, long, <laughs> bladed, um, <laughs> shape, they're called shaping shears. Well, everybody knows what I mean yeah, when yeah. I say Edward, Edward Scissorhands. And I use those just to shape the, well, in my case, it's like a big row. I have like a hedge of lavender. So I yeah. just shape the whole thing. And the reason I do it is I want the height and the width to be consistent in my hedge so that when it does bloom it yeah of course it looks like France in a very small scale <laughs> um, in your case your 100 square feet same thing I would be looking for look and you know you can give the whole cut down as much as a third do it in the spring um, be you know you clearly want to remove any dead wood but then also you just want to sort of get things somewhat uniform so that when they bloom it'll just be that much prettier and that deadwood could be removed at any time now? That's right. Uh, you, at any time on any plant, you can remove deadwood when you see it. Great, thank you. Wow. That, that must be a yeah. gorgeous uh, aroma oh, tra- in your place. It's a traffic stopper, I'll tell you. Uh, I bet you. Uh, and also all the bees must love it. Oh, that, if everybody wants to know where the bees are, they're over here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> She's probably humming all the time. Yeah. Oh, oh that's good for great. you. Thank you. Hey, thanks, thanks for the call, call. Doug. Yeah, I can, oh. I can envision that, eh? 100 square Brother, feet of lavender. I'll tell you. Let me repeat those phone numbers, Charlie, just before we have to take a little break here and go back to talk to uh, Aubrey and Hamilton. 416-360-0740. And uh, anywhere in the province, it's toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. And when you call in, the first voice you will hear will be that of our producer, David Gaskin, who always does such a super job. Mm-hmm. And we'll return to our callers in a moment. <laughs> Don't change the radio station. Just because the weather changes, garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. And wherever you are listening in from, we're zooming at you this morning. Uh, <laughs> going to talk out, uh, let's see, to Aubrey in Hamilton. Good morning, Aubrey. Yes, good morning to you. How are you? Fine, thanks. Um, three weeks uh, into your show and a wonderful show. I Lovely. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much for taking my call. Uh, the reason for the call is about a blood good Japanese maple. Mm-hmm. About four years ago, I had a euonymus u- in the front uh, of the house, mm-hmm. and it developed scale. So I ended mm-hmm. up digging it up from the roots. I planted uh, two uh, spireas, flaming mound spireas, beside uh, a, well, in the middle of it is this blood good Japanese maple. Mm-hmm. What I found in the four years last year, at the bottom of the, the stem branch, mm-hmm. it um, started to brown. The, uh, and the leaves started to die away, so I had to cut it. Now it looks more like a tree as opposed to a, a sort of, let's call it a bush. 
Um, it's supposed to, as it says on the back of the card, have um, the dark crimson color. Mm-hmm. But I'm finding this year, now it could be obviously the sun that we've been getting, the humidity. Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 the leaves are starting crispy. to brown, look like they're sort of burnt. Yeah, they're crispy on the edges. Very much so. And huh. it's only on one side of the oh. actual uh, tree. Right. And is that the, which side? Is that the west, perhaps? Uh, it is the west. Yes, you're right. Good guess. <laughs> back to the back and the west. And yeah. I'm also noticing on the leaves uh, that don't have that crimson dark color they had in the first three years. Mm-hmm. Start to, um, I guess, a yellowy sort of tinge to it. That could be the sun. Again, yeah. I think, you know, just listen. Could, well, it could be a little bit sunburned. Okay, so going back to the form, because mm-hmm. you mentioned that from the base you were mm-hmm. needing to remove some of the, the branches. Um, a, ja- a Japanese maple is certainly a small tree. Uh, blood good as is the, the natural form of blood good is vase shaped. So narrow at the base in the form of a V, basically. Right. So it does want to become a tree. Uh, it usually we'll allow it, it might have two or three stems from the base but typically they won't be right at the base it'll it'll typically have you know a bit of stem and then they'll be branching so that it you know like i say it starts narrow at the base and wider at the top it, a blood good, even though we like to think they aren't going to get more than about 12 feet tall, often will get bigger than that. They'll get, you know, 18, 20 feet tall in 20 years. So just keep that in mind in terms of proportions. Um, I'm thinking that, yes, it's been a hot, hot, hot summer. Um, the Japanese maples always, some of them do very, very well in full sun. And I sometimes see them in people's yards and I go, wow, that looks amazing considering how much sun is on that plant. The leaves tend to be quite fine or thin. They do burn easily, um, particularly on the edges. Tell me about fertilizing. Have you fertilized this plant at all, or was it very good soil when you planted it initially? Or? Well, I tried to do my, <clears throat> pardon me, I tried to do my best with, uh, mm-hmm. with the soil amendment uh, mm-hmm. when I planted the whole new garden, obviously because of the scale of the anonymous. Right. Um, fertilizing, I've been using a uh, 30-30-30 uh, shrub and tree okay. fertilizer. And I you started with that. It said on the uh, on the uh, container mm-hmm. uh, first two weeks and then uh, monthly afterwards. Okay. And so, when was the last time you used some of that? I uh, use it. Try and use it after the rain. Uh, obviously, with the lack of rain that we've been getting here yeah, in Hamilton yeah. and uh, the surrounding area, mm-hmm. uh, I try to water it deeply and then water uh, fertilize it. Which is a really really good point. Never ever fertilize a plant when it's dry. Right. All right. So the my my point about fertilizer is stop fertilizing now. Okay. Uh, it was fine to start in the spring, and as it said on the package, do this every you know, whatever four weeks. Right. So you know, sort of May, June, July, but no more fertilizer for anybody on any of their woody plants. Because very naturally and normally, these plants now are going to start slowing down. Okay. Days are getting shorter. Uh, at some point, nights are going to get cooler. And yeah. uh, plants are going to naturally want to slow down. And fertilizer completely messes up their natural physiology of, of wanting to go dormant as winter is coming. Fertilizer forces them to keep growing. So and, don't. Sorry. Yeah, so um, and I wouldn't be overly concerned about what you're seeing on the leaves now because, uh, as I point out, we are getting towards the end of the season. So new, all new leaves are going to grow next year, uh, and you know it's a whole new world next year. It right. may just be showing a little bit of stress from the heat and perhaps even from the the drought. I mean, it has been just so dry and so windy. Many of the the trees have really suffered for that. A lot Anything of early. Told by the neighbor, water heavily during the uh, fall time period. Well, heavily. If we're not getting rain, all of our trees need to be deeply watered. 
uh, preferably every week to 10 days and like deeply watered so that you want to perc- you want water to be percolating down a foot or two feet down where the roots are okay. none of this superficial watering otherwise we end up with a lot of shallow roots so deep roots help the plant withstand drought in the future but it, it's there's been a lot of early defoliation on a lot of the trees because no matter how much we're watering them they're still suffering for lack of moisture it's just dry winter like we had dry spring like we had and then a dry summer is hard on the plant they put out a lot more leaves than they could sustain this year. So don't be overly worried, I guess is my point. Sounds like you're doing everything really well. Stay doing what you're doing and know there's a whole new crop of leaves for next spring. Most definitely. I thank you very much for both of your time, and I continue uh, to listen to your show and be excited. I thank hey, you. Hey, thanks for great, Aubrey. Call, Aubrey. Boy, we, we've got to get that on uh, on tape That's and uh, right. run it as Save a promo. Save that clip. <laughs> <laughs> Save that clip. Okay. <laughs> 9.28 here at AM 740. Zuma Radio, the garden show, is on the air with Charlie Dobbin. Let's see who we're going to next. Oh, yeah. Robert in North York. Good morning. Good morning. Morning. I uh, recently, all my house plants along the windowsill started to die, and I thought it was perhaps because I'd used Drano in the sink, and then my girlfriend noticed that the leaves had been bitten, and she actually saw this worm crawling along there, and I haven't introduced anything new into the house in terms of plants, or I don't know where they came from, but uh, what can I use to kill them and not destroy the plants, so all of us have a whole lot left of them? Uh, okay. You, it's, you, are you on a cell phone? Okay, it sounds like you're under in a barrel, yeah, in a bathtub or something, <laughs> sort of underwater. Okay, no problem. Uh, so, Robert, um, when you okay, so your girlfriend saw some actual little worms on the leaves of the plants, and these little worms were chewing the leaves. Yeah, she saw she saw them in the dirt, and they were white. Okay, and the the leaves are all chewed off. I I, I thought it was possibly the, the Drano that had killed them, but it obviously isn't. Right, and you were just worried about fumes from the Drano. Yes, exactly. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, that could cause some, some distress, but it certainly wouldn't cause um, actual tissue to be missing from the leaves. Only insects will chew. And if you're, you've actually seen some little worms. Now, the little white worms you saw, were they really tiny? Like you needed a magnifying glass to see them, or were they pretty big? Yes, they were small magnifying glass type. Okay. Now, tell me, do you see um, any what look like fruit flies flying around? No. At all? No no little gnats, little tiny black. Um, okay, so what I would do is soap and water. Now, you can yeah. buy safer soap, or you can make a soap-water mix, but we're not talking detergent here, like none of this sort of dishwashing detergent. It's got to be soap and water. It's a 40-to-1 mix of water, obviously, to soap. And with that mixture, what I would do is I would take all your houseplants, put them in the bathtub, perhaps, um, put the plug in the bathtub, and then water through the soapy solution, water the plants with the soapy solution so that the soap and the water will go through the plants. That will, believe it or not, um, cause any insect that's in there in the soil to you know, very rapidly want to get out of that uh, particular situation. And you could theoretically even do the same thing with just pure water, but soap will be a little more efficient and quicker here. The same soap can be used to spray the leaves of the plants. If there are any insects on the plants, the soap will kill the, the insects, particularly any sort of larval or small wormy type insect, very susceptible to a death by soap, <laughs> believe it or not. So um, so that's what I would do. Now, the one addendum to all this is once you've done the soapy um, wash through on the soil, let the plants drain 
thoroughly, then give it half an hour, 45 minutes, whatever, then some clean water. Again, wash through with clean water, let that drain. And if you're spraying with a soapy solution, ensure that these plants are not receiving any direct sunlight when there's soap on them. Because um, soap can, can be quite stressful on the plants, and if there's any sunshine, that causes the leaves to all turn black. So then it's a, like sort of a clean rinse for everything, good clean drain uh, through of all the soap and water, and then back out onto uh, the location where you've got them uh, in, your, in your kitchen. They should be fine after that. Do you know where possibly this whole thing started from since I didn't introduce anything new into the, uh, into the house? Um, well, it's funny. I mean, if the, if the little tiny white larvae that you're seeing are fungus gnat larvae, which is a possibility, sometimes the, the eggs are dormant in the soil. And they they hatch in under the right conditions, and the right conditions is the pres uh, sort of a high level of moisture in the soil and the presence of fungus, which allows them to thrive because they'll eat that fungus. So that's the other thing is that if um, there's a possibility that that's what those larvae are. Be careful with your watering. Allow plants to dry fairly dry between waterings. Avoid keeping them moist all the time. Okay, thank you very much for your time. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks Th- for your call. Thank you for the call, Robert, and uh, delightful to uh, hear from our listeners from all over the place. Mm-hmm. Now, where are we heading now? My gosh, off to Brampton we go. Phyllis is there. Hi, Phyllis. Hello. Good yeah, morning. Hello. Good morning. How are you today? Great. We're great. How are you? I'm fine, except my garden isn't doing well. What's Uh-oh. going on? Um, I planted two and a half flats of impatience. Mm-hmm. I live in a townhouse, so I have a relatively small garden, and there are only 10 plants still living. Mm-hmm. They just seem to go leggy mm-hmm. and yellow, mm-hmm. and then the next morning they'd be sprawled out on the soil, yeah. and inside of a week, Mush. They're gone. They're gone. not even a side of them. Yeah, they just, deter- they just hit the ground and, and decompose. Right. I'm just trying to remember. Is it a... Somebody should, I should get somebody to phone us, or I can look this up quickly. This is, um, I'm just trying to remember if it's a bacteria or a virus. It was first seen in impatience two summers ago or three summers ago in Britain. And since then, it has cropped up in some of the greenhouses in North America. There is no cure for it. Nobody knows exactly uh, what to do. And that's why I'm just trying to remember whether it's a virus or a bacteria. But when it once it starts... It happens, and the plants die, and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it other than replace them. So it doesn't stay in the soil? I don't believe so. And again, that's where I should, you know, just my brain is going all fuzzy on that one. (laughs) I'm used to that. I'm used to that. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So you know what? Um, Stay with us. I'm going to, within the next 27 minutes, I will have the answer to the question. I'm trying to remember. I think it does stay in the soil. I think whatever it is, you shouldn't plant impatience again. So let me double-check that, though. Okay. Now, as I said, I live in a townhouse, and all the neighbors plant basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. Everybody else's were fine. Yep. It's in the plants. It's something that... Oh, it's, it's something I brought home with the plants. That, yep, you didn't know about. 
Yeah, and I bought them at a nursery, too. Oh, of course, yeah. No, and the nursery didn't know about it either. They wouldn't have sold them to you if they thought that that was going to be a problem. So, okay. So, like I say, just um, stay with us, and I will get the answer to your question. Uh, keep listening, as and stay with okay, us. Okay, will do. And uh, I'll let you know I, uh, why that collapse happens. And like I say, I'm pretty sure you shouldn't plant impatience. Again, you're going to think about begonias, perhaps, next spring. Okay. Or something called terenia, if you've never grown it, T-O-R-E-N-I-A. It's quite nice. Terenia? Yeah, in the shade. Uh, Coleus can do well in the shade. Um, Fuchsia can do nice. Yeah, everybody loves fuchsia. I love the colors of fuchsia. Yeah, yeah. Only nature would put those colors together. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, I'll I'll check out exactly what it is. I just can't remember. So thank you. Thanks for your call. Okay, thanks so much. Right. You are listening to The Garden Show here at AM 740 Zoomer Radio. And we're having a busy morning here, my gosh. Uh, on to um, the call for, oh, Richmond Hill calling in. Uh, Verna, good morning. Good morning. Morning. I am uh, just have a query. I have, uh, oh, maybe about 10 years, 12 years ago, I planted a mountain ash. Mm-hmm. Is it part of this ash borer problem? I, I don't really know too much about ashes. I planted this tree because I like my neighbors. Okay. And I was pl- replacing a tree that had to come down. That's a, a great question, actually. Um, and I'm happy to say that no, mountain oh, ash <laughs> is not an ash. Ash trees are fraxinous. Mountain ash is sorbus from a... Okay, from I'm a, sorry, you're going to have to explain those two words. Latin. Those are the actual proper names. Mountain ash, we call it mountain ash, but it is not an ash. Bottom line is the emerald ash borer do not touch mountain ash. So you did well. You picked a good tree. <laughs> well, it, it wasn't through foresight back then, but... Yeah. Um, so, because I, so I, I keep going out and looking at it, but I keep hearing about the time mm-hmm. you get the damage is too late. Yeah, the emerald ash borer is a huge problem, and I see you're calling from Richmond Hill, and absolutely, emerald ash oh, yes, borers yes. have been spotted in Richmond yes, Hill, for and a some number of years. trees well, are three, four, yeah, five years. Some trees are coming down because of it. Yeah. Now they're not just going to go and take out all the ash tree be, ash trees. Remember when the chestnut thing happened? Yeah, and they I just, do remember. Yeah, there were so many dying. They and said, they "Oh, disease, yeah, it was more efficient to just cut you know, cut down all the the yeah. chestnut trees." Well, they're not doing that. You know, there's uh, or elm trees. They're just not doing. That. So they're waiting. Each so I ash. I don't have to worry about my baby that I not at all. propped up and held against the wind. <laughs> not and everything at all. Else. Yeah, yeah. Great. No, well, it did good. Thank you very much. Thanks for your call. Okay, okay. Take care. Take care, Verna. Thank you for calling the Garden Show here at AM 740. And it's uh, to Mia, I believe, in Barry. Uh, good morning, Mia. Good morning, Charlie and Frank. How are you? Good morning. We're both well. We're having a lovely birch uh, cluster delivered later today. We dug the hole yesterday and we discovered it's full of uh, rock and uh, silt, and we just moved to this area in September of last year. What do we do? <laughs> Good for you preparing the hole in advance, particularly when well, it's... That was part of the condition when we bought it from the nursery. Oh, they dug the hole for you. I was going to say 40-degree heat. Now always nice to be out digging rocks. No, we received thought <laughs> in 40-degree uh, heat, though. Yeah. So, um, yes, indeed. You're absolutely right. You do not want to put a birch into a really rocky situation. Birch would like, in a perfect world, a reasonably fertile soil... And a fair amount of moisture. Birch do well. When, when we see birch naturally growing, uh, we see them in low areas where the water table is high. We see them near the edges of lakes and ponds. They do like quite a bit of moisture. Mm-hmm. So if it's a real rocky spot, uh, the trick would be to get some of those rocks out of there. And your basic triple mix, um, good garden soil, some compost. You know, you want that 
organic material and you want a, a reasonably fertile soil, and that's what the plant should be going into. So they had asked us to dig a hole that's a two and a half by three and a half feet conical shape. Should we dig it a little bit bigger? Um, not necessarily. Is it a wire basket uh, clump or is it? I in- believe so. It's a very it's tall tree already. Yeah. It's about. I would say maybe two, three meters tall. Wow, it is big. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, the, there's the the rule of thumb with planting trees is to go wider rather than deeper. Okay. Um, so, so certainly, I believe that you can never. It's never wrong to. Uh, dig the hole bigger but there's some arguments for why if you create too beautiful of a planting hole and fill it up all up with gorgeous soil that the plant will never reach out into the the side soil because it loves the soil that you've given it so much so really what you want to do if you're going to dig a bigger hole is remember you want to mix some of that existing soil in with some of that good quality triple mix that you're bringing in so that you're kind of you know it's going to be gorgeous soil in the center it's going to be a mix to the outside and then it's going to be the straight regular soil beyond that so the plant's going to be able to slowly but surely grow into that the other thing is that this time of year do make sure you've got some transplanter or quick start type fertilizer to use 50 50 50 no it'd be like a 10 15 well actually it should be like a 5 15 5 high middle number to encourage root growth Okay. Okay, and you're going to follow the instructions, you're going to mix that up with water, and you're going to water very, very thoroughly with that mixture when you're planting. And, of course, you're going to stay right on top of watering this plant. You're going to be amazed how much you're going to, if the weather stays as it's been, you may be watering that plant every day, definitely every second day. That's deep, okay. deeply, deeply, deeply. And if it starts to look, if it's windy and hot and the poor little leaves are hanging on it, don't hesitate to water the leaves. Like get your hose and spray the uh, leaves down okay. just to try and help it from dehydrating because it it's a hot time to be transplanting a birch. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. Good luck with that. And come back and visit Barry and the Barry Garden Club. That's I'd love to. One time. That was great. Yeah, it was fun. I remember that. I'd love to. Yeah. <laughs> We'll mention it to them. Have All a wonderful right. day, and thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, too. You. Bye-bye now. 9.40 our time. We're going to take a little bit of a break. i got to be honest with you. Um, I've been staying this past week in town at my uh, older son's uh, apartment here in town, mm-hmm. and uh, he was uh, off uh, doing other things. So I was left in charge of watering the tomato plants uh, that are out in the balcony. Mm-hmm. But I can't wait to get back home next week, the yeah. following week, to pick up my uh, gardenia tree from oh. Candace, who is uh, our friend. Have you been checking her. in? Is is the gardenia uh, baby? I, I, I haven't haven't had a chance to check okay. in yet, okay. but I'm dying to see if the blooms are going crazy. My yeah, my mom's just just covered yeah. in buds. I oh, saw it last good. weekend. It was a big fat juicy yeah. buds, and she's just waiting, you know, counting the minutes to well, this one is, opens. This is the first time I've been excited about anything that grows because I I have like what they call. And, um, There's no such thing. Well, you know, I kill plastic plants. I, I don't think I do. so. I, just, I don't I've think got a brown so. thumb. No, you don't. Oh, dear. There's no such thing. Well, all right. But you, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And that. you've gotten a lot better at it. Yeah, well, thank you. Loving your plant. Yes. All right. We'll be talking. Uh, I talk to plants, too. But we'll be talking in a moment <laughs> to Margaret in Toronto after these words on The Garden Show. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than we do realize. And should little creatures become a big problem? Well, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. 
And the phone numbers to the show for Toronto area listeners, 416-360-0740. Anywhere else in the province, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. And back to the lines we go, a call from Toronto, and Margaret's on the other end of the line there. Hello, Margaret. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning to you both. Um, Charlie, I'm calling about a bug. Mm-hmm. Buzzes when mm-hmm. it's really hot. Yeah, yeah, the buzz saw sound. What is that? It's called a cicada. So C I C A D A. Cicada. I think I did see one. It landed on the side of the house. Mm-hmm. It was about an inch long and mm-hmm. uh, half an inch wide. Mm-hmm. They're big. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, the, is this a, a menace? No, not at all. No, that they're, they're calling. They're mating. They're calling to each other when they're doing that sound. Oh, is that right? Yeah, and it's, they're so interesting. They actually, um, because insects, as they grow, you know, you know how lobsters molt? Like they, uh-huh. they, the shell yeah. comes off, or snakes, you know, yeah. skin. Uh-huh. Cicadas do the same thing, as do many insects. But they're so big when they leave behind. The, I found one just yesterday on the side of my chair, yeah, my patio. Yeah. It, well, it's just split down the back, and they, um, they, you know, bust out of that old skin. And it is. It looks like a compl- the bug is there, and yet it's it's nothing. There's nothing in it. It's empty. It's <laughs> it's left that behind and moved on, gotten a little bigger. So yes, that you hear them as soon as the they get really really loud, uh, just late in the afternoon yeah. and. Sometimes all all afternoon. Well, I've heard they've rubbed their legs together. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's they're rubbing their leg on their back. Yeah. This morning, they're nonstop. I know. I know. It's it's a good year for cicadas. A lot of romance going on out there. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, thank you very much. You're welcome, Margaret. <laughs> bye bye. Uh, it's 9:45 here on the Garden Show yeah, with we Charlie were, Dobbin. It was. I was telling you earlier yeah. um, that you know, I, for whatever reason. Of all the people in Ontario yesterday in the heat, yeah. we didn't have our air conditioning on. You know, smart well, move. I know, mm. like like we own air conditioning, but we didn't have it on. Well, yeah. it was so hot. I was I finally did put it on at midnight last night, but um, we we were eating outside just because it was cooler. Obviously, getting a little breeze outside than it was inside, and and just like Margaret was saying, like the cicadas were so loud, and then the crickets come in, right? So the so the, you got a the real cric- cacophony. There. Yeah, exactly. And as the sun goes down, the cicadas all start going to sleep, and then the crickets are waking up. So we went from the bus saw to the to the cranking of the crickets. It was it was quite quite the chorus. The cranking of the crickets. Yes, I like we that. We had a symphony mm. last night. Mary Jane in Grimsby, what's on your mind this morning? Good morning, uh, Charlie. Good morning. Uh, we have a white pine that's about forty years old, and this year it's it's losing its color. It's pale. It's quite pale, and where there should have been new growth. The, the needles are very short, mm. and I don't know if they just quit growing or if a bug has got them. A bug might have got them. And a big, old, white pine is something that you would really want to save if you can. Yeah. It's about, uh, oh, 60 feet high, I yeah. guess. It's oh, a beautiful boy. tree. Yeah, beautiful tree. Well, okay, two things. One is... I mean, personally, if I had a 40-year-old white pine that wasn't looking good, I would be in, at my yellow pages looking up under arborist and, uh-huh. and get a professional certified arborist onto your property to diagnose what's going on. It okay. could be an insect because no question there are some pretty dastardly bugs that do big damage to pines. They certainly are. However, it also could just be age. I wondered if it was stress because it needs water. Yeah. 
um, white pines can live for hundreds of years, so I shouldn't really say age, but they are not what we consider a very good tree when it comes to tolerating pollution and urban conditions. And in the last 40 years, Grimsby and, and all of southern Ontario, you know, the, the smog, the pollution, the heat, all that has gotten far more intense than it was. So it could be that the plant is suffering because of that. Uh, and, and so an arborist would be able to diagnose whether it is an insect that needs to be treated or it's a case of some deep root watering and perhaps some deep root feeding next spring just to try and, you know, coddle the tree along and do what you can to keep it as healthy and happy as you can and, and prolong its life as long as you can because well, we they're have amazing. Another one, a smaller one that's about 20 feet high and it's fine. Okay, yeah. So, but genetically, they could be quite different. So, it, like I say, hard to say exactly what it is over the radio, but I certainly would, like I say, ask an arborist to come. They will come and it, typically an arborist will come onto your property and not charge you to be there. And uh-huh. they will provide you with a report of what they wish to do. And that's when it starts costing you money. So uh, certainly I would, I would recommend that. Okay, thank you very much. All and I'll right. go outside and listen to the cicadas. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Get out your violin and join them. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Mary Jane. Thanks. All righty. All right, we're at uh, 948 here on a Saturday morning with uh, Frank Proctor and Charlie Dobbin, our uh, expert when it comes to anything that grows. Anne in St. Catharines, uh, all set to talk to us here. Good morning, Anne. Good, good morning, uh Charlie, good morning, Frank. Good morning. I'm having this problem with cinch bugs in the in the lawn. Uh, like I have a lot of bent grass, and the bent grass suffers uh, tremendously in the summer months. Yeah. So every morning uh, we water about for half an hour, mm-hmm. and that sort of maintains the lawn to some extent. So I don't know if it's the bent grass that's causing these brown patches or the cinch bug. Mm -hmm. I looked up the internet, the little green apple um, website, and they talk about a home remedy for removing cinch bugs. But of course, the the remedy does not appear on the the computer. Now, I phoned uh, for nematodes. Two of our local um, outlets don't, uh, they're out of it, and they say they're not um, ordering anymore. Mm-hmm. So I said, why is that? And they said, because uh, uh, it's rather late uh, in the season. Normally the nematodes are applied in May because you catch the young uh, uh, the, the the lava as it as if it were or the little guys. Uh, now uh, the other thing is uh, the cinch bug killer. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is it too late to apply this? Like we are at, uh, going into August now. Yeah. Um, you know what I would do because this is actually a really good point. Um, at this time when it's been so dry and if our lawns have not received adequate moisture and they're yellow dormant really, you know, they're alive but they're yellow, <laughs> we don't know whether they're yellow from cinch bug or yellow from drought. 
And the way to test to see whether you've got an insect causing the damage is just with an empty soup can or apple juice can where you cut out both the top and the bottom and now you have a, a sturdy cylinder and you insert that cylinder into the into the turf where the, the turf is yellow. Uh, try to get it down into the soil. Yeah, an inch, even two inches makes a difference. Fill up that can with water Uh, And what will happen, of course, is that the water will slowly go out the bottom. But in the meantime, while it's full of water, if there are cinch bugs, they will float in the water. And cinch bugs aren't very big. They're they're about the size, when they're full grown, they might be as big as the size of an eraser on a pencil. But anything smaller than that, they're tiny, they're black, they've got a little sort of a triangular pattern on their back. So a magnifying glass is not a bad thing to have at the same time. If you see cinch bug, then absolutely, then you can certainly suspect that's the problem. Nematodes, it's way too dry to put any nematodes onto our lawns at this point because we just can't adequately mo- you know, get the moisture out there to, keep the, to hatch the eggs and get things going. <laughs> so what's out there to kill nematodes, sorry, to kill cinch bug that's available to the homeowner at this point? Perhaps some, like a bug be gone, which is a pyrethrin-based or permethrin-based insecticide following the instructions could um, kill cinch bug. But again, you'd have to follow the instructions. You'd have to water in the insecticide. Mm-hmm. And, but first, see if that's what the problem is. You know, first do the diagnosis. The other thing would be to call one of, one of the lawn care companies who have the licenses to apply pesticides that you and I can't apply, and they can come out with something a little stronger than just a pyrethrin-based spray and do a proper spray if indeed you do have cinch bug. But I wouldn't assume that. I would check first. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, the thing is, uh, the lawn itself is, uh, because of the watering every mm-hmm. morning, mm-hmm. it's uh, uh, relatively green, mm-hmm. except for these patches in between. Mm-hmm. So I, would you think uh, bent grass causes that? Well, bent grass hates the heat. So even with adequate moisture, it could be yellow just because it's it it's doing its own dormant thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could be that, or like as you're suspecting, cinch bug. But like I say, I would I would do a, a quick check first. Uh, if you see no evidence of cinch bug in these yellow patches, then uh, certainly as when things cool off in a couple of weeks, uh, it would be very appropriate to do some fertilizing. And I think you find that a lot of the yellowing will green up uh-huh. uh, in that case. Because remember, with all that watering you've been doing, any nutrient that's in the surface of the soil, it has all gone yes, away. Dissipated. It's, yeah. no, that's right. Moved with the water. So, uh, but uh, uh, with a company, uh, do you think it would? It is too late. That's that's my concern. No, because no. we're in August. No, we're, it's not too late. Now is when we're really starting to see the damage from cinch bug. We just can't know for sure whether it's cinch bug damage or drought damage. And but no, there are insecticides that will kill the cinch bugs. I see. Okay. Okay. I'll check it out. All right. Thank you very much, Anne. Thanks, Anne. Thank you, Charlie. Bye-bye. 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 Bye now. Uh, we'll uh, take a little break here and come back and have a word with Angela right after these words. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You pick the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Alrighty, we're all set to have a word with Angela from Brampton here in The Garden Show. Good morning, Angela. 
Oh, good morning, Frank. Good morning, Charlie. Morning. How are you doing? Great. Good. I have one of these hibiscus trees, you know, that's planted in the pot, and it's 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 like a tree, and it's got a long the long stem that mm-hmm. goes up, and then the bush on top. Mm-hmm. Well, the, there's shooters coming out from the the base of the of the tree, and I'm wondering, should I? cut them off or not or what should I do? Yeah, good question. When you have a tree, whether it's an oak tree in your backyard or a, a tropical standard, what we call a standard tree in a pot, and you see little green sprouts coming off the stem, either at ground level or above, uh-huh. always remove them. Okay. And better than cutting them off, if they're still small enough, just use your thumb and break them off. Okay. Okay, and then they won't regrow. Because or they won't regrow. You want that. For, you want to maintain that form. You want that naked stem with all the little branches up at the top, right? Just as you ex- described it, to be maintained. And if you allow those little green sprouts to start growing, you lose the form, and ultimately you'll lose the top, and you'll just have a bush. Oh, okay. Okay. Right. Thank you so very much. <laughs> no. Thank you, Angela. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay. Bye. 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 Now. Have bye. a great day. Thanks. All right. Um. Yeah. You're looking at me like. Okay, Okay, Charlie, what have you got for us? Yep. Remember Phyllis called from Brampton. And Remember she, Phyllis? Yes, it is. Yes, and she was saying, what's going on with my patients? So I've been like frantically trying to look here in between <laughs> Frank and I giggling uh, during commercials. Now, I think uh, here's what it is. There's something called impatience necrotic spot virus, okay? So this is um, a virus. So the symptoms are that um, the blackening spots on the impatience, then you might see little black lesions on the leaves, and this is all early before they collapse. Uh, chlorosis, not so much. This also gets other plants as well, stem lesions. Da-da-da-da. Plants infected, they're systematically infected by the light for the life of the plant, although the plants are systemically infected. The virus can compartmentalize within its host, causing symptoms on only a portion of the plant. So for control... Um, Plants must be rapidly and thoroughly rogued from the production. Now, this is for greenhouse production, but this is true in your own garden as well. You see this problem? You rapidly and thoroughly rogue them. That means remove them from the area to reduce infection to other susceptible plants. Monitor for other insects. Destroy all weeds, both inside and outside. Greenhouse. Da, 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 da. So, bottom line, that didn't answer the question of whether it's in your soil. But I think it is in your soil. And I'm going to have to perhaps look this up a little better and get back next week. <laughs> uh, more homework so, for Charlie. Yes. I know. I'm really sorry. But at the end of the day, Phyllis, I think you're not planting impatience there for a while in that same spot, if I recall correctly. And um, I'm sorry to say that, but that's just sometimes just the these things is. happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. That's life. That's gardening. That mm-hmm. is. That's life. That's And gardening. you know what? That's hey, just about the show. But you've got one more little note you want to squeeze well, in. Well, I, I want do. to just tell you what I'm doing this afternoon. Yeah. Um, I'm hosting my family for a barbecue at my house. Very I'm good. calling it a potluck. And my mom is making ribs. Dolly's she ribs. She makes the Ooh. best ribs. So we're having, I've got big <laughs> potato salad planned and all kinds of cool things coming and peaches and corn on the cob. Oh, man. Sounds like... You, you should come for dinner. Well, gee, I wish I... <laughs> yeah, of course, now you're not going to invite me No, now. no, but no. you're going home after <laughs> your show, yeah, aren't true. you? That's you true. You haven't been at home all week. All right. So... Um, well, I skipped home on Wednesday for a bit, but... Yeah. Uh, 
And no. you've been filling in. That's right, for uh, Dale Goldhawk. All right. So you're on in a little while with your show after exactly, the car guys are done. Well, yeah, Dave's Corner Garage guys are here. Dave yep. Redinger, Alan They're Gelman. Revving their engines. Shout out to them. And, uh, all right, well, so thank you. Thank you very thank much. Thank you, Charlie. Boy, what Welcome an interesting show today. back again. Good, good stuff. Glad to have my sous chef back. Thanks, Dave, for all your help, and thanks to all our great callers. See you next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.